Hi, Bruno. Bruno Borges. You are still principal developer advocate for Java at Microsoft? Hey, Adam. Um, yes, I am. I guess, I guess I am. Last time I checked on the HR website, it still said that. So maybe I should check again. Yeah. Just, just to be sure. Yeah. So usually I start my guess, you know, how they found the first keyboard and uh, wrote the first Hello World. But uh, we did it already in the previous podcast. And uh, so um, I have actually a concrete topic. Uh, and what I did, I recorded a uh, podcast with Ondro from Payara, and we tried to discuss um, serverless and war. We had both very similar idea. I edited the podcast, but uh, I found I didn't, as a, it, it was not very clear, actually, my my uh, my idea. So this time, what I what I plan to do is, I would like to explain you step by step what I'm thinking about Java e Cloud and Cloud Native, and mm -hmm. and you can ask questions or you know if you find something which is not reasonable, let's do this. And uh, because I have a concrete ideas, how for instance MicroProfile or Java e could be plugged in into a Azure Cloud, and uh, we can take an example, very simple one, like like for instance is Azure Storage Java. Uh, SDK, which is basically a, a one method call which stores blobs in Asia. Does it sound right for you? It does. And uh, I'm just, just to confirm, are you going to show me code? No, uh, because, uh, you know, the listeners have also no chance to see the code. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I will read the code if, if, if necessary. It's okay. <laughs> so, okay so, um, That'll be fine. Yeah, you are a hacker uh, because you already edited, you know, Docker containers and everything. So I think there should be no tr no trouble. So yeah, no worries. No, absolutely. Let's let's dive into it. Okay. So about Java. -E. So uh, I I actually don't know were you somehow related to Java -E at your Oracle time or or not, or were you just you know so like general advocate. Um, I worked closely to the, the Java AE team at Oracle. Yes, okay. In the past. Um, few things that I did uh, were more on the community outreach of okay. Java AE, uh, like uh, uh, the Java AE handle on Twitter. Um, oh, okay. Java before AE, that was my thing. Um, also, <laughs> if if you've seen these. Java EE logos floating around mm -hmm. uh, on the internet. I will not say who did it because um, cool. I, well, somebody did it. Yeah, this is uh, AI, <laughs> you know, or not artificial uh, AI, real <laughs> intelligence, right? Exactly, exactly. So, yes, <laughs> let's go with that. No. So that was yeah, that was the uh, most of the work I have been. Um, uh, give a platform for for the Java E community outreach and um, uh, as an advocate as well, of course. But uh, my my actual work at that time was uh, working with customers, what logic customers, and and helping them um, take advantage of of the Java E platform the best way possible. Take advantage of what logic and looking forward for the the uh, at that time I think it was Java E seven release. Mm -hmm. um, uh, that WebLogic got support. So uh, I helped customers take advantage of that. Okay, so perfect. So now uh, I explain you about my world because uh, I have sometimes um, the feeling that uh, we, we live in a parallel universe. I mean, we as like uh, Java e developers and what I see and hear at conferences and sometimes even from the vendors, it does not reflect the reality. So I think uh, starting with Java E5, so I would say Java E5 killed the remote EJBs. So with uh, you know with the sudden death of remote EJBs, because we it's you know the whole JAXRS and HTTP and JSON revolution, there was no more need for clustering because the whole EJB clustering worked with uh, remote smart stops. So basically, since I would say 2006, there was no more clustering in Java E. So we considered the containers as processes let's say and um, what also happened as you probably know the java e service became leaner and leaner so there was no a lot of you know reasons to put multiple applications on one application server 
I'm telling you this because in I read lots of articles like application servers are dead, and uh, application servers um, do not support microservices very well. And I think the reason is because uh, some architects or developers are thinking that when we Java e developers talking about microservices, they think that the application server is the cloud where we deploy several things, which wasn't the case for I would say. Yeah, 13 years. So um, so this is a uh, history. So it was the case at the... You know the machine actually, um, 18K from Sun? The expensive, uh, nice-looking machine? Yeah, yeah. This, yeah, yeah. This is uh, how, how, how the whole shared deployment started and uh, was actually justified by high hardware costs. But I would say since 2006, um, most of my clients I work with moved away from the shared deployment model because... There was no business reasons for that. So what it basically means is the, um, I misuse the application servers as a very convenient way to implement business logic. So, um, and uh, because I had lots of trouble in projects and always external libraries and uh, there was always forgotten libraries laying around and, um, and uh, yeah, um, you know, references to no more existing open source projects um, and uh, my clients stuck with it and caused some troubles. Usually, if they upgraded the hardware, the hardware become became more concurrent, and the application stopped working. So, and and what happened then is then we say, okay, I mean we have Java and we have Java E, so let's stick with it and let's see what we can do by constraining ourselves just by using what's inside, and. Yeah, and this this works surprisingly well. I would say, like for last seven years, we just do this, and then microservices came out, and this actually is what we always did: one process, one war, and could be considered as microservice. So, instead of using the application server as a cloud, we are using a microservice as a process. I like Node.js, let's say, so very similar. Because it's a thin and we put the business logic inside. And why we put the business logic? Because we get the separation. So we have the war, which is very thin. And we have the application server, which handles, you know, the API implementations and uh, threading and stuff like that. Clear so far? But make it sense? Yeah, it does. Oh, very I good. Mean, it's, not, it's not rocket science. No, no. It, it, this is boring technology. This is the point. As I like, you know, this is just... Uh, boring is good. Yeah, boring very good. So, and um, of course, if you are in such environment, a two-phase commit is optional. So it doesn't make a lot of sense because you get lots of trouble. So we could use it, but just for legacy reasons or, you know, to support old apps. But I, I think we didn't use proactively two, two-phase commit also for 15 years or something like this. And um, I saw it recently in the Twitter, like, uh, you know, uh, we don't need Java E because we don't need two, two, two-phase commit. So, okay, two-phase commit. I almost forgot how it looks like, right? Except the XA exception, which is very funny. But um, yeah, this is what actually happened. And then Docker came out. And if I saw Docker, I was like, this is unbelievable, actually. Because what you can do then, and I started with it at very early Docker versions, I think 0.4 or 0.6 on my server. So I said, okay, this is even better because I can immutable infrastructure, right? So I can freeze the app, the whole application server in a Docker layer and just deploy the thin war, how I call that, just the business logic to Docker. So the idea is because the application servers, uh, we get, I would say, every three months a new version. There is no need to redeploy the application server over and over again, which is very convenient because makes the whole thing faster. So we put... Um, or I put, and, and lots of developers did it as well, we put uh, the application server in a layer. And because of the deployment model, we were able you know, to put the war and, um, and, and ship it to the, to, first to Docker, then to Docker registry, and later to the cloud. Um, no, no rocket science still, but you got the idea, right? Yeah, I think the <clears throat> once... Once we start treating application servers as just runtime stack, mm-hmm. we start seeing 
Java AE platform, just as we see Node.js, just as we see yeah. Java AE, just as we see Ruby, Python, Perl, or any other language um, or platform that requires a runtime available for you to run your your application, right? So um, once we ship Java EE as a Docker image or as a, a base image uh, or layer for Java applications, uh, it, it's it's not more a discussion about if it makes sense or not. It's a discussion of, you know, how can you modernize your existing code without going wild with, with the application servers and shared deployments, as you mentioned before. And I think Docker has enabled us to to modernize Java EE deployment approaches without actually modernizing Java EE itself, which is beautiful uh, from that point of view. Yeah, it was and, uh, it was accidental yeah, improvement, but it, exactly. Yeah, but uh, it was it was really an accident, but uh, but it changed everything. Actually, I think without Docker, it, it it could be that the application server would be not that reasonable anymore. Because then fat jars or Uber jars would make sense. But with the Docker layering, it this Docker layering fits beautifully with application servers. It 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 it, it so much does. I mean um not on, almost, it really does. It, I mean Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean on on Microsoft Azure we have a, a service called App Service mm-hmm. where you can just bring your code, your your application, whether it's a war, a jar, um uh, Whatever, yeah, and we provide we provide runtimes. Yeah, we have the runtime number one. It's the Java VM, right? The Java SE runtime. So for that, you bring a, an Uber jar. Mm-hmm. There is a a second runtime that is Tomcat. So you just bring a regular web application. We will talk platform. about that. So what I would like to do with you is to extend your Tomcat runtime a little bit and have some brainstorming. What we could very easily do. Let's go with that. Yeah. yeah. But what you put very well is that the Java E servers, no one cares about the servers. We only use a runtime, which happens to be called Java E, and we're using it for productivity. And because we would like to focus ourselves just on the business logic, and we actually don't care how the business logic is implemented. And I think this is the, this misunderstanding because I think there are people outside still there who believe that like the application servers um, are dead because they are still treated as you know servers with shared deployment. It's no more the case. This is like you know Java is not dead because applets are dead. Java Java moved on and now we have Java on the server. You know, so this is like yes, Java started to be on set-top boxes, but it happened to be you no, know, it was not very popular. And now we have Java on server. And the same is with application servers. The actual idea was shared deployment to save money on hardware. But right now, we have um, the, the, the hardware is cheap. But because of Docker, accidentally, we got uh, another perfect use case, killer use case for deployment model, right? So And, and therefore, what I ne- never got, you know, the idea of the whole micro-profile uh, thumbtails and swarms because what they do, they try to package everything in one jar and uh, it is harder to use, you know, the Docker layering as a feature. So it's harder to establish so-called immutable infrastructure where you're just shipping what changes and everything else, else is frozen, right? It's, uh, yeah, it's... But just logical. I mean, you know, what's popular or not is just doesn't matter. It's from developer to developer, and you don't have to speak as a Asia advocate. It's just you know, uh, from your experience as uh, you know, old or old, uh, very young, uh, uh, gifted designer with um, Java logo background, right? Yeah. <laughs> Got it. I think I did. Perfect. I think I did. Perfect. So now this is this is the boring stuff. So what do we get then? We have a war, and we can push the war to the layer, and um, and then we get JAXRS endpoint and dependency injection, and we can inject uh, JPA, and if we like, um, sometimes JMS. And this is basically it. So what, what do you get? You get, uh, I would say, 
a pretty boring set of APIs, which are very common, and you can build your own API. But you still, but you, but this, I mean, you st you are still not using you know cloud specific features, right? So you could just run something in the cloud. Um, you could use Java as a programming model, which basically is very nice with CDI and Jaxos. It's very, it's really very productive, and it's even more productive than Java SE because uh, with Java SE, something like you know configuration or interfaces are exception from the rule. Usually, you just inject with a three classes, you can build a nice CRUD service, create, read, update, delete, or even with two classes. And this is what I'm talking about. Um, okay, perfect. Now. We can get step further, and I um, tried before. So what you what you actually can do, you can say, "Hey, I'm Microsoft Asia," and we could you know choose application servers or one application server it does not matter, and we could we could actually create an image with let's say Tommy because you mentioned Tomcat or Payara or Open Liberty or whatever you like. And this image is already in our private registry, Docker registry. And um, then what we'll mean, we only would need a somehow a protocol. Let's say, I let, let's do FTP. This is crazy, but uh, no, not FTP. Just just go HTTP post. So um, what, what I will do, I would say curl upload my war to your cloud. And what your cloud will do, Docker build, it will take about one second and start the server. And then this would be like a minor extension because then what happens then, we are almost in serverless, right? Because what happened now, my war um, is just business logic there. I have just two dependencies to Java 8 and to MicroProfile, and I actually don't know what the runtime is. I don't care about that. I push it just to the Microsoft Azure cloud via curl post, and uh, which causes, which then a hook wakes up and says Docker build and then runs the Docker container. So mm -hmm. this would work with, I would say, this would be a prototype which will take, uh, let's say, I don't know, two days, three days, no more. Um, and what are the benefits? The benefits is I could actually locally pick whatever server I like and push it, you know, 60 times a day to the cloud it, uh, or 100 times a day, because the war is very small, it would be very quick, and the productivity productivity would be great. So this is the first idea. What do you yeah, think about you it? You don't, you don't even need to exactly build the Docker image locally and ship the Docker image, right? No, in the cloud. Yeah. You should build it in your cloud. I would just ship my war, which would trigger exactly. an event, and then you will build the image for me, and start the server. And this would be, I mean, this would be like, you know, lambdas on steroids because uh, I don't have to care about all the, you know, strange programming model. I would just implement my application, what I what I did, as I said, two classes for CRUD. And now we are talking, right? It would be hyper productivity and I get all the metrics, Prometheus and all the stuff for free. Yeah, and that's, that's exactly what we do. I mean, in it. In in our cloud right now, on, on Azure, that's exactly what we do in one of the services. You ship your WAR file, and we package that inside a Docker image, whether uh, it's a Tomcat or a Wildfly. We now have support for Wildfly runtime. So you, you can have a full-fledged Java E um, uh, stack runtime. And so, this is already... I didn't know about Wildfly, but um, this is already... Very interesting because now it is actually a serverless environment, right? Um, it is. It depends. It depends how you define serverless. Okay. Um, if you define serverless by simply by something that you don't have to set up and manage the infrastructure yourself. Mm -hmm. Yes. Then, then yes, it is serverless-ish. But in in cloud computing in general, and and how the market has accepted the the term serverless goes beyond that, because um, if, if if only by that we understand the serverless, then almost anything in the cloud 
can be called serverless, which is not entirely true. Um, we could we could say Terraform and Chef provide a serverless-ish environment where you just trigger a command and infrastructure is set up magically for you, which is it's it's serverless from that aspect where you don't set up the infrastructure and have to manage it. It's all automated with your own scripts once you write them or from, from companies that you acquire those scripts from. But serverless goes beyond. Okay. Serverless- what is lacking is the orchestration of the, of the images, right? So I don't like to have one white file running. So I, I would expect later V2 that you have Kubernetes set up and for instance, you could just start and stop or just watch my pods running. And in every pod, there is a white flag, for instance. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that can be achieved today, right? Yeah, but this is really serverless, right? Because you could, uh, you could even behave like uh, Lambda functions. You can say, look, uh, demand is so high or nothing happens in the app. So I will hibernate uh, the whole thing. It's not a problem, right? There will be actually no... No conceptual difference to AWS Lambda, right? So yeah, if we ex- if we extrapolate um, the serverless concept, and and we we take into consideration that, like for example, the Kubernetes cluster, we are only paying for the uh, manager pod, the manager, well, the the, the control plane, right? Mm-hmm. If that is the only thing that we are sort of paying for and and everything else uh, we have an automated scheduler that goes up and down with pods then sure that is some sort of serverless approach but um it's still up to the customer to manage that cluster or that kubernetes installation or or, or yeah just cluster but I don't and, think, and I don't... All, all the automation of the scheduler also needs to be managed by the customer. So that's where the serverless terminology gets blurry. Uh, yeah, but I, I think uh, we could just hide that, right? So what we could do, we could provide uh, an XML, not a YAML configuration, because YAML wouldn't be serverless. So let's say XML, <laughs> XML configuration and say, I would like to have you know, I like XMLs. I like XMLs. Yeah, I also like XML. I I just I get so many errors this uh, this week with YAML. So uh, I'm I'm really happy about XML, and um, <laughs> yeah. So um, and just just imagine you know version version one. I I would just have an XML file which states you know number of pods two. And that's basically is. And and it's done. And 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 there should be two and and. You need just HA proxy, and I don't care about anything else. And then, of course, yeah. We, yeah? So, I just, I just want. I mean, I, I, I like, I like the, uh, I like, I like, I like the idea of calling this a serverless thing. Um, but if we call this serverless, um, how can I say this? I think, I think, I think we are extrapolating the definition of serverless to fit or to to be able to wrap an idea or a concept or something that can be technically done uh, but actually isn't like that the i think i think java ee as a runtime has to a lot of value it it provides everything that most business applications will ever require um, and shipping that runtime in a Docker container, being able to to have this base layer where developers can su- simply ship a WAR file, and that WAR file will be picked up by some by some automation system that will will throw that WAR file into a new Docker image that has the base layer as uh, a Java EE runtime, and then scheduling that to a pod. Um, on a Kubernetes cluster and running the application for whenever, for as long as it needs, and then shutting down that pod to save or reduce costs. This flow, in a sense, it it is it can be called serverless, but the one piece 
that is missing is that serverless, the serverless approach is event-driven in, in the cloud. Mm-hmm. And that's where um, we don't have yet, and hopefully that will change um, um, with projects like Knative and how that can be matched up with this idea of Java as a runtime of containers in, in Kubernetes clusters. Combined well, yeah. to provide the actual serverless approach, uh, but still releasing business code using Java EE. I think that is promising, and I think many, many people, many developers will find um, interesting ways to combine Knative um, with any sort of runtime um, that, for example, could be a Java EE image. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm just, you know, speaking from my Java E experience because um, I wanted to talk with you about that because of as the serverless discussion came out, I tr- tried to find the definition. I think, wait a second, what I'm doing right now is the whole time serverless because we don't care about the application server for years anymore. We just, you know, push them to a Docker container and they could actually stay in the clouds. I really don't care. And uh, regarding events, I mean, what we can, of course, do is, you know, I also don't see any conceptual difference between a message-driven bean listening to a, to a, to a queue and a Lambda function, for instance, right? Yeah. Yeah, in a sense, yeah. Yeah, it is identical. I mean, um, yeah. And, and from the programming perspective, it, message-driven beans are actually very, very lean. But um, it's interesting. I think... I would say it is absolutely serverless. This, the, the thing with the events, this is what's an interesting topping. So I would consider the JAXRS endpoint and HTTP as events because um, events will trigger this. And what I think what we could do, we could say um, there is no request response. What we only allow is, for instance, an asynchronous post or something like this, and then we get our events, right? <laughs> Um, yes, but well, JAXRS endpoints to be event uh, um, triggers or to be tricked, mm-hmm. they have to be always running, right? So mm-hmm. you you will need a Java EE application, even even if a small one, uh, with your JAXRS endpoints always running to receive the HTTP request as event triggers for um, your subsequent pieces of your system. So that's where um, I say the serverless definition is is blurry. Uh, the, what, value is, the value is still there in terms of developer experience. The, the value is still there in terms of um, uh, deployment agility. Um, so as long as long developers are comfortable with that, uh, and they can take advantage of a Kubernetes cluster and the automation and CI/CD and being able to to come up with a serverless developer experience, not necessarily a serverless economical model. Um, that has its own value already, and and developers should be looking into that for sure. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know whether you are aware of the FN projects, the open source GitHub project started by Oracle two years ago. Yeah, yeah, I'm aware. Yeah. So and um, so I I played with it and uh, implemented uh, some functions, and the whole deployment model was Maven. At the end of the day, it is not that different. Even the size of the Docker image is not that different to a Java e server, and uh, the functions either they are regular functions and HTTP they are called hot functions, so they are running for longer. And if you hit the function which is called, it will start the function. So in such a Java environment, what we still will need is a kind of a queue before, which could be provided by the cloud provider, right? So I would expect to have like um, a, a queue, an Azure queue and queuing system, which um, which uh, buffers the events and then dispatches the events to the JAXRS, um, so uh, J- uh, JAXRS endpoints. I think this could be done as well, right? Then, then we are really serverless. That is 
but that that thing where cloud provider manages the triggers or has the triggers always running somewhere, that is a serverless economical model, right? That's where um, uh, that's what I was talking about before, where someone else is running your event listeners, but it's not a customer that's paying for that. If that is achieved, uh, as in many cloud vendors, such as Amazon, Google, uh, Microsoft, and, and Oracle, uh, with its cloud function service now, um, that's a great advantage. So mm-hmm. if customers can take advantage of the serverless environment that the cloud provider gives, and still can use existing programming models. That's a great, um, that's a great capability of that cloud vendor and of the underlying um, um, platform, whatever exactly. that is. Exactly, this is what I'm talking about. That uh, just you know, use the best thing from the cloud and, uh, and don't give up your programming model. Right. Yeah. That that's something. Um, that's something that uh, should be really considered because um, one thing that developers should be worried about serverless is that most serverless platforms kind of give a a, a lock in to the serverless environment. Mm-hmm. So being able to externalize your business code in a platform that you can easily move to somewhere else, whether it's serverless or not in the future. I think that's important. And, and, and that's why being able to ship functions as a Docker image, it's an interesting approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, projects like the FN project or uh, OpenFast are a great, great examples. Um, Azure functions uh, on Microsoft side, the one advantage um, is its support for um, on-premise execution, so you can take Azure Functions because it's an open-source project and run whatever you want, um, um, even if you decide to not use Azure Functions anymore. Uh, the service in the cloud, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some um, work done with projects like Spring Cloud Functions that abstracts the programming model and allows you to write Spring Code. And I think it's a matter of time that um, somebody exposes the programming model of specific clouds uh, in a way that it allows developers to write Java EE code instead. And, and that code will still work fine in, in, in those serverless platform. I think um, that is something that could happen uh, if there is enough interest from, from um, users and developers. But until then, just being able to ship functions as a Docker image and and inside you have your Java E runtime with your business logic, written in a programming model that is um, no not locked in. I think that's a great advantage. Mm-hmm. And um, what 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 also happens is um, the serverless is always somehow bound to the to uh, function as a service. So if someone you know it doesn't have to be that way. So as we now evaluated with uh, the war and Javi, but usually for unknown reasons, if someone mentions serverless, usually what, what they are thinking about is function as a service. And the function as a service, there are some, you know, killer features, like for instance, they can use them, like for instance, message driven bean, and send, listen to the queue. If there is something on the queue, wake up and process this. This is great. But at the same time, I, I cannot imagine to build a mid-range applications just with functions. So we had this in Java, let's say five to 10 years ago, there was like, at least in Europe, we had a a wave of command patterns hysteria. We say, okay, everything has to be a command pattern. Then everything is generic and replaceable. And this was a mess because no one knew what actually going on. You know, you the generic, generic uh, input parameters and output parameters were passed back and forth and the system was not even distributed. So the whole communication was uh, without any reason inside the applications and hoping that one one day a command is going to be replaced, which actually never happened. And yeah, and then it became even worse with uh, JMS. In one point of time, everything had to be a message. 
message-oriented middleware to, to have scalability and um, and uh, and uh, gen, uh, how to call it modularity. And what happened then is such applications were really hard to debug, and you know the robustness was terrible because if you put something wrong in the queue, everything you know blew up. So um, and 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 functions are not that different. So um, I think having a programming model, a Corsair programming model, not just you know uh, input output, rather than what we are talking about in Java E. So you get uh, facets, which are a lot easier to program for simpler use cases. It depends. Yeah, it really depends on the application, right? Where serverless will thrive, in my opinion, is event. Yes. Um, yes. Event response. Absolutely. Event that's that's where that's where serverless is really going to thrive. Any any other use of serverless that is not for events, and by event, I don't even say HTTP events because HTTP events are um, uh, they are fine for some use cases, but on average, you don't really want to use HTTP as uh, event even processing communication protocol. No. You should you should be looking at uh, binary events, yes. uh, like storage events, or event systems like Kafka uh, uh, streams. Those are the sort of events that we should be really looking at when we develop serverless functions and, and integrate those into our larger systems. Um, if, if those are the scenarios, then... Um, Serverless platforms that allow for quick execution of the function, low overhead, low memory consumption, um, fast scalability. You know, how do we go from one instance of the serverless function to thousands of instances of the serverless function? Those are the the main um, values that we should put into consideration when 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 choosing which serverless platform to use and or which approach to take, but. Regardless of that, just being um, uh, thoughtful on, on on the programming models, I think I think it's important that serverless functions allow the, uh, uh, allow developers to write functions on any language, or to to a certain degree, of course, cannot support one hundred percent of all languages in the world. But being being able to allow developers to use their existing knowledge, whether it's a programming language, whether it's a framework, I think that's that provides a lot of value. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But um, what I see in the world, in the projects, that happened several times to me. So um, uh, last year, there were two startups. They, they thought, you know, they can do everything with a function. And uh, it is like, I don't know, uh, it seems almost like, you know, hidden knowledge. We are a startup, so we have to use uh, functions for everything. And uh, this is, in my, from my perspective, unmanageable. And what I... What I what I uh, presented them was a, of course, right, Java E server, and they had no idea what Java actually is, and they were delighted. It's like, and, and will it run in the cloud? Like, sure, we can just, you know, what I, what I said right now, we can push the Docker and and now um, to the cloud, and and now they are running Java E and very happy, and we have a view functions, uh, which are consuming the events and translating them and and, and invoking the application server, and this is a very productive model. And um, it works extremely well, I would say. I mean, that well that I get asked by the startups, you know, uh, why it is so great. It's like, hey, I mean, this is old, boring technology. <laughs> no no one is, is excited anymore by Java E, so we have, we have it for years. It's like almost like, you know, a secret weapon or forgotten wisdom, which is uh, really funny for me, you know, watching this right now, because uh, it's a revival of the old stuff. And That's... um mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's <clears throat> that's one of the reasons I uh, I like the uh, MicroProfile um, project on Eclipse Foundation because um, two things happen, two two things uh, I, I see happening with MicroProfile that maybe nobody is noticing or not talking about it widely. Um, one is that MicroProfile takes away the idea of application servers, right? MicroProfile does not talk about application service at all. It just like, oh, neither did Java EE in the in the past. But um, Java EE and, and, and how people perceive technology is is one of the things that drive 
the adoption frustration or or um, disconsideration of for a certain technology so the perception is really important when we talk about technology and java ee came to a point where it 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 achieved a level of disgruntness that developers don't feel like they can tr- trust the platform or invest in the platform anymore for new projects. It's old, it's legacy, it, it's application server, it's not cloud native. That's the perception. Whether it's technically possible or not to do new things with that platform, that's irrelevant once the perception that it, it technology gives is is not what people would expect. So that's why MicroProfile is interesting to a point where it's the same programming model. It's the same set of APIs. It goes a bit beyond at certain points in, in some APIs. has a completely new name, and it does not talk at all about, about Java EE application servers or has no notion about application servers. That is where I, I would say we have a chance of keeping that technology still available in the future and and that programming model available to others and still leverage and get community developers to adopt it in new ways, such as um, cloud-native deployment or maybe one day serverless. And we make MicroProfile work as a first-class programming model uh, in, in serverless uh, platforms. So. Um, the the idea of of using runtimes that support those APIs just as just as a runtime stack that that is an interesting idea to a certain point once we are able to write code with that existing already learned programming model but still use automatically in different new ways then you're going to see a lot of more, even more value for, for that platform, for that technology. Yeah, you are absolutely right. And um, as the Jakarta started, they, they said, okay, we should rename it from service to runtimes. And I asked them, you know, what's the technical difference between server and runtime? And uh, they say, actually, there is no difference. So, okay, then why renaming? But what uh, occurred to me with discussing with you, I would say the difference is, the name server implies the server runs all the time. And the yeah. run t- yeah, and the runtime would mean, you know, we can shut it down very quickly and start it. So I think it would really wise, you know, to talk about Java runtimes and not Java servers. Right? Yeah, and and and, and I think uh, we as engineers sometimes um um forget how important uh perception, communication, messaging <clears throat> even marketing of technology is so important to keep the technology alive and well adopted and developers happy with their choice um, um, and and um, decision of adopting that technology for for mid to long term so if we can if we can still if we can allow developers to use existing programming models and and still be excited about the technology how we make that technology perceived by existing and new developers is extremely important. If we go completely away from the idea of servers and we focus on the runtime approach, on the runtime message, then we can actually have, we can actually make people think differently on new use cases on how to use that thing just because we are communicating in a different way. So, Java EE APIs and programming models as a serverless approach, I think that is an interesting idea. It works today, as you have shown. Um, We just need to make that perhaps mainstream. And to do that, we need to communicate better. Yes, absolutely. We need to use better terminologies. Yeah. And uh, uh, my criticism a bit about... uh... Microprofile. So what I really appreciate Microprofile, I use it all the time in all my projects because of, uh, I would say, a great stunt which I completely overlooked. So I was actually against Microprofile at the beginning because they started with own runtimes without a reason. 
But then what they did, uh, all major application servers are supporting Java E8 and MicroProfile. So what I can do right now, I can just use MicroProfile in all my projects without you know, asking for permission. It's just there, which is really great. And um, and um, yeah, what uh, MicroProfile released like a starter kit and also bombs, and it implies that uh, you don't need to you know the full MicroProfile. You can pick and choose your APIs. And this is... Of course, nice, and developers like it. It's very good for marketing. But uh, what I think is more important, to have opinionated runtime, which would mean it's say, look, there is a MicroProfile 2.2, and you get everything. It is very small. This is what Rails did back then, and not what we did, you know, with OSGI or Eclipse, where you had 500 plugins, and no one knew, you know, which, which plugin to take. And... Um, and or even what Visual Studio Code does, right? If you download Visual Studio Code, it is usable from the beginning. It's a great editing experience for for everything. And if you would like to have you know specific things, then you will have to install you know Java plugin or whatever. But for the mainstream HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, it just works out of the box. And this is why it's popular. I, I would say if Microsoft would ship you know empty shell and say this is lean and just pick your stuff, it will never fly. And this is um, the, the same with uh, MicroProfile. I would say, look, this is all APIs are there. You can rely on the existence of the APIs. I think this is very important for business apps. And um, yeah, the, this the, this opinionated thing. This is what I really liked in Java: the convention of a configuration plus opinionated way, which was somehow stolen from Rails also 15 years ago. But yeah. Uh, yeah, but this is actually what what made me excited about the whole Java e thing. It's like you know, don't make me think. Just focus on business, self constraining, and and go ahead and forgot all the frameworks left and right. And this is why I still enjoy coding, I guess. Yeah, it, it, it's um, the I think every every framework these days, <clears throat> every platform, every runtime is opinionated. Uh, to a certain point, right? Um, there's no, there's no more. I think we came to a point in, in in the industry where there's no such thing as standards per se. Um, everybody's creating their own framework. Everybody's creating their own file format. Everybody's creating their own network protocol, right? I mean, Google has been investing a lot on network protocols of their own. Um, um, developers are writing JavaScript frameworks every day. Uh, people are creating file formats for data transfer or configuration files um, in, in, in different ways. <clears throat> Everything is becoming opinionated. Everything is becoming um, the, the way... Every, everything is becoming whatever the developers want to be in however they want it to be. And that's, that's not a bad thing per se. Um, I think it just gives uh, opportunity for everybody to come up with their own solutions. But at the same time is it, it makes it harder for people to come into the industry as like newcomers, which language to choose, which, which framework to choose, which file to choose, which protocol to choose. Cause Standards are still there. Standard, we have standards in, in networking. We have standards in, in, in file format, uh, driven by, by governance bodies, by foundations, and so on. But when it comes to innovation, when it comes to moving fast uh, and just being able to build things however we want, uh, we achieved this point where there's no more, no more actual standard and developers are free to choose. So that's why platforms and cloud services, environments that allow developers to run whatever they want are so important, especially in the cloud. And being able to ship and run whatever you want, however you want, is the the ultimate um, application server. So Kubernetes and containers are the de facto application server and um, deployment unit or packaging unit. 
Because that allows developers to use literally whatever they want, however they want. And and now a short story to you. So I I I, I work with lots of developers in Kubernetes and uh, Docker environments, uh, not Asia, but um, and uh, they are uh, Java E and Java developers. And what happens is they they are absolutely not interested in the Kubernetes stuff. And what they do is they build locally, you know, with Docker Compose and shell scripts, whatever. They try to create their own environment, not to use Kubernetes and YAML and whatever. And uh, they are not even satisfied with uh, OpenShift, which is a nice environment. They uh, they just don't like to do this. So the doc they like Docker and nothing else. So um, I think there's also great misunderstanding, you know. It's just, uh, here at conferences, Kubernetes and Kubernetes, and actually, I, I, I never met a developer who really likes Kubernetes. So this is like uh, they, they try, okay, Ritlery, in every project so far, I you know force developers to delete their Docker Compose stuff locally and use the cloud more because uh, I was in projects where they never managed to deploy it at the end of the cloud because they use Docker with you know, without the uh, the uh, security, um, how it's called, with uh, the user, uh, with e uh, user roles and uh, writing to have wrong directories, and it actually was impossible or really hard to deploy to the actual cloud. So uh, I think simplifying the whole thing, uh, we talk about it already, but uh, this is probably interesting feedback also to you, that uh, the developers are actually, or in my world, even not young, not that interested in the whole Kubernetes because it's way too complicated. So you have to le le learn, you know, lots of stuff without any business value. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Kubernetes is not supposed to be something that developers should be touching, yes. just as just as Java EE application servers were not supposed to be touched by developers, right? Exactly. It's the the the, the notion of an application server whether it's Java e application server or whether it's Kubernetes, I think it remains the same, right? Uh, Kubernetes is a little bit far behind in some areas compared to Java, traditional Java e application servers, but um, uh, it's well ahead in others. Well, number one, it's polyglot. That that, that tells a lot by, uh, by definition, but um, if, if developers only consider you know, the boundaries of here's my application, ship it. I don't care how you run it. I don't care where you run it. I don't care if you're going to, if you're going to run it forever. I don't care if you're going to run just by triggered by events. Um, it, if, if, if that is something that can be achieved one day, that's wonderful. And I think we are not far from that model. Um, but there is a lot of work to make um, the whole environment consistent across different programming languages and different frameworks and that's where um, events um, events event systems become so important because if 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 anything can be translated into an event even an HP request if if we could translate an HP request into an event saying Kafka that sends that event to Kafka that we have a function that is uh, triggered because of that event, process a request, sends it back, and it goes back as an HTTP response. If everything comes down to cloud events, which is a, uh, uh, an attempt to, to make a standard around uh, uh, event systems in the cloud, I think the we're gonna see the industry. We, we're gonna see the industry moving really quick, really fast, and in a way that nobody ever expected. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cloud events are really interesting. I wanted I wanted already mentioned it. So this is what MicroProfile could provide one time, binding to cloud events, right? This would be an yeah. in interesting extension for MicroProfile. And for instance, this I would see in MicroProfile, not in Java itself, because uh, until you know Java e includes or Jakarta includes this in the spec, we will get four iterations with MicroProfile. This is a less formal process. Yeah, right. a, a cloud events is an interesting uh, standard, which by by the way is driven mostly by uh, an architect at, at Microsoft, mm -hmm. and um, and 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 if we get to a point where system can be can be uh, reduced to work with events in that way, 
for every th single aspect of communication between the application and or applications or between the application and the user, then we, we will start seeing um, interesting things in how we program systems, programming models, and, and, and deployment options. And I think we're going to perhaps start seeing a normalization or a standardization of how we write software. Maybe one day we, we get to a, even to a point where we don't see new frameworks popping up every week, uh, regardless of language. Mm -hmm. And we start start stabilizing the, the industry. So hopefully hopefully cloud events and, and, and event systems will will help us in that journey. Now the last idea is to ex to extend to augment Java E with uh, Asia specific services. So so far, so we just you know have plain Java E container without any added value uh, from um, from Asia from Microsoft Asia. So and I uh, just took a look a brief look at the uh, Asia storage. This is like API, which comes with a nice single Maven dependency. Asia yeah. storage blob ten five zero, and you are set. And the code example. So in order to um, to get the reference to the blob, you will ha you need the account name and an account key, which is normal. You will have to create a shared key credential. Then create a pipeline, an HTTP pipeline, a URL, service URL, and then you get the block blob URL. And um, such the bootstrap is is remarkable remarkably similar in all clouds. So you always need the credentials and uh, you get a, a reference or you will have to create a singleton and fetch the the service and then you are programming against against a nice Java API. But what I, what I would do is I would re, re, delete the first, uh, let's say, 10 lines, the whole initialization logic, and make it injectable. So what 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 how to achieve that so actually we could wrap this uh com microsoft asia and blob in our a small cdi module uh, with a producer which produces the final api which is called block blob url or container url yeah and uh, and then you only will have to say at inject block url the shared credentials and uh, and the service names could be derived from conventions because you already have the image which was created by me. So we can just instantiate that. And this will simplify a lot. And I didn't saw any example in all the clouds. And I said, this is unbelievable because um, mixing, you know, our Thin Wars idea, with that, this would be like ultra-productive environment. I would just inject, you know, your block storage, your data lake, whatever you have, with add inject interface. I don't have to include the SDK to my code because you already have it. So, and this this would be, of course, completely proprietary, but I wouldn't care. So my war would be still empty. I only have the Cloud Asia API. The implementation is on the server, and this would be extreme extremely good developer experience comparing it to, 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 to now, right? You know what I mean? Um, I think I think I know what you mean. It, it's, I mean, a lot can be achieved, right? I mean, it's giving the, giving the option to the developer to just access the service without having to um, establish connections and save credentials hard-coded or whatnot. Uh, just use the connection, and that's all automatically binded into the application. That's that's super powerful in in any kind of system, in any kind of application that developers have to write. Um, one capability that uh, we see growing fast is um, application principles, uh, where instead of putting username and password inside code or inside environment variables, we create a principle for an application where that gives a token that will allow that application to establish connection to the cloud service. Mm -hmm. That token goes into the environment variable, and that token is valid as long as whoever manages the service allows that token to be valid. With You can even set policies to expire the token from time to time. Um, so that's also a powerful approach for um, 
um, for connecting services to applications. The other option that we we see quite often being used is what we call message service identity or managed service identity. Um, that basically means that once your application is running in a service, at least on our case on Azure, we will inject a principal credential automatically uh, on that application that will allow that application to talk to this or that service. This is this what I'm talking about. So if if you give me, you know, the token in environment entry, I could just initialize whatever I need behind the scenes and inject the final result, which in the case of the blob service is the uh, is the container URL, and this is super lean. So I could hide, you know, the whole bootstrap initialization, which comprises, I would say, 10 lines of code, and uh, hide it in, in a Docker layer, which is already prepared, and I only use a nice programming model, which is with at inject, and I could specify my configuration somewhere so we can use builder or whatever and um, this would yeah this would be a greatly streamlined this would be actually competitive advantage because it would be a really easy you know to use all the asia services in a unified way yeah and and, and one of the work that uh, our engineering team is working on is to allow um msi um I'll- to allow MSI to work with any Azure SDK and in and, any and language. So let's say you want to connect to Cosmos DB or SQL Server or, or whatnot. All these libraries, these, these SDKs and libraries would automatically pick up the MSI in the environment if the MSI is available and, and authenticate using that token. And that's automatically bounded by the by the platform uh, under whatever whoever owns the subscription of that application instance, and and this facilitates a lot the developer job in in deploying the application without much configuration. It will just assume that once the application is deployed in the cloud, the application will connect to the cloud database, to the cloud storage, or whatever. And that information is given and granted once the application is in the cloud. That's a powerful model. And I think right now, um, I don't see that model um, uh, being taken advantage of by MicroProfile or Jakarta E, but it's something that definitely should be looked into, um, especially the security um, API that uh, came recently. Um, together with the configuration API, I think those two combined can can give the users and developers that capability quite quickly. Yeah, yeah. You just talking, you know, just about the security, and I'm talking about you know streamlining the whole initialization of all the APIs by doing this behind the scenes and just injecting to the application the final result. So let's say we have the the Java eight API, and we could got you know the Microsoft Asia API, which comprises all the APIs which are injectable. And then this is what I'm talking about. It's, um, yeah, for MicroProfile, we have that, we have a proof of concept that it's available on, on our GitHub. Cool. For, um, I think, Key Vault. I think it's Key Vault. Mm-hmm. Uh, where you just put the, the, Java dependency, the Maven dependency of the Azure MicroProfile Key Vault extension, and that will give you automatically the API and the binding and the injection of your Key Vault um, environment into your Java code. Mm-hmm. And if you combine so, both, we could have really you no know, serverless-like experience with nice access to Azure API, which uh, would be a very productive programming model. So it's actually just syntactic sugar around, you know, already existing APIs. Uh, yeah, yeah, and it's 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 it, it it's close. It's close to the notion of serverless uh, from the perspective. Mm-hmm. Cool. So we spent now one hour with content without introduction. I hope uh, it was interesting discussion. 
you didn't knew what you well, know what to expect. <laughs> I had no idea. That yeah. was good. Yeah, thank you. So um, I also uh, was good, you know, to hear your opinion and uh, the thing with the server. It was actually a good point that uh, if we renamed the whole thing to runtime, it, it doesn't imply that it have to run all the time. And yeah, perfect. Um, yeah, yeah. If, renaming, renaming is easy, right? <laughs> yeah, it's but, just marketing. But it's, yeah, yeah. It's, but it's the first step. You cannot communicate something new if you don't rename it first. Yeah. Um, perfect. Uh, please send me the links to the, uh, if you have to the Whitefly uh, Java endpoint, and I could play with it. If oh, absolutely. Sometime. Absolutely. I'll and, share I'll share everything that I mentioned today. I'll share with you. Perfect. And uh, any final, you know, thoughts or um, honestly, I would, I would, I would tell people to try out um, Java EE and microprofile applications on Azure. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason being is that we want to enhance uh, the support for that on Azure, and we did some work with microprofile specifically. And if you go to docs.microsoft.com and you search for microprofile, you're gonna find a documentation page. Mm-hmm. And um, as I mentioned before, we added a Wildfly runtime image to Azure App Service mm-hmm. so you can run fully-fledged Java EE applications. I think it's, I don't know which version exactly of Wildfly is, but I That's think it's matter. Java mm-hmm. compatible. If it's not 7, it's 8, either way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'll just tell people to try it out and provide feedback, uh, whether through GitHub or over Twitter. Um, or email. Um, however, it's more convenient. Yeah, perfect. Really to, um, to help um, developers bring their applications to the cloud, and and if there is any way that we can make that experience easier and better, we'd be happy to. Yeah, perfect. So, thank you, and uh, we should, you know, perform our cloud sync in half a year or something. Just talk again what happened in that time, if you have time. Yeah. Sounds good. Okay. Thank you so much, Adam. Bye thank me. you. Bye.